You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, we continue our weird series in the study of Daniel and uh, kind of keeping this idea of understanding in Daniel, one of the main things that Daniel wants to get across is that God is sovereign. That one of the names that he uses for the one of the names of God that he uses throughout Daniel is Adonai, which is Lord, which is the, the sovereign one. It's the idea that God is in control even when we can't see the evidence of it or we don't see the evidence that we would like to see. And uh, here's some young men who'd been taken from their homeland and been made captive and and things are, are a little different than what they'd expected. And to see that in the midst of this, this young these young men continue to say that God is Adonai, that he is sovereign and he is working out the, the his purposes and things for his glory, even if it's not to our plan and our according to how we would like to play out, we're a part of his story and we're excited to be a part of his story. And so that's what we've been talking about. We'll continue to do that today. And, and that this idea for us to be weird is the ability to stand for Jesus in a culture that can't stand Jesus. And I know that even over the last few weeks, I've talked with several different people in different conversations and it's come up um, in different ways that many people aren't even watching the news anymore. Or reading the news or anything because of they're just like, hey, this culture, as a follower of Jesus, this culture is in many ways against me or a sense that it's against who I am and what I'm about. And so I get it and I understand it. And uh, that's one of the reasons that we're talking about this is what does it look like for us as followers of Jesus to take a stand for Jesus in a culture that can't stand him. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've seen that Daniel and his friends were taken as captives. And in chapter one, that they were past the first standardized star test. And uh, they chose to eat a, a diet that was special to them of vegetables and, and all that and not eat from the king's table. And in eating, not eating from the king's table and for themselves feeling obedient to the diet that they should be following, God honored that and raised them up. And they passed the star test, was flying colors, and were given even a, a higher position as young men. And one of the key things to that is it was these guys had predetermined. They had forethought that there were going to be some things that they knew that they were in a foreign land and there were going to be opportunities to worship idols and to go with the flow of everyone else. And they chose to not do that. And so we'll see that again and again. And then also we see in Daniel chapter two that Dan interprets uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which is impossible. That Nebuchadnezzar had a dream in the middle of the night and as he came back, woke up the next morning, he brought together all of his professionals who could have been able to answer the dream. They had studied how to answer dreams and they were astrologers and enchanters and all of that. And he brought them together and said, hey, I've had a dream. Tell me the dream and then interpret it. And what his his professionals said, hey, that is impossible. Only the gods can tell us the dream, tell you the dream and interpret it. And so Daniel heard that, went and gathered his little life group of guys and said, hey, we're in an impossible situation. It's life or death. They prayed together. God gave Daniel the answer. He went before the king and he answered it. And again, therefore, he was raised up and his friends were raised up a little bit higher in the court. These men, young men, were continuing to stand. And we'll see here in Daniel chapter 3 that Daniel and his friends were weird guys. They were of strange, supernatural, ordinary, extraordinary character. And in Daniel 3, 
we see them stand up again and be weird. And in Daniel 3, we also see that Daniel's actually away for a little bit. And while Daniel's away, King Nebuchadnezzar was inspired by Daniel chapter 2 and this statue. So he had had the dream, and he was told in the dream in Daniel chapter 2, hey, this statue symbolizes you're the greatest of all kings. You're, you're the head of gold, and there will be other kingdoms, but they'll never be as great as yours. And so being the king that he was, he said, well, shoot, I should have a whole statue made of gold so that people can recognize how great I am. So in Daniel chapter 3, Daniel sent away doing whatever he was doing for the king, and King Nebuchadnezzar works on a statue for himself. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter. In verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, which is pretty tall, and 9 feet wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, which was just outside of town on a major passageway. So people, every time they would walk past it, they would have to stop and pay homage to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, most of the scholars, there's been books and books and books written about what does this thing look like. Most of them say that it's kind of, it would kind of look like the Washington Monument in Washington. It would have been kind of a weird looking thing, but it would have been a statue, but it wasn't like what we maybe necessarily think about because of the dimensions of it, but we won't talk much about it. There's this 90-foot statue of King Nebuchadnezzar plated in gold. So you can imagine in the desert, gold, you're going to notice it for miles. All right? And Nebuchadnezzar makes this idol of himself for himself. And that's one of the things I want us to grasp is idols are always things that we make for ourselves so that we will have feel good about ourselves or whatever we need to do to raise ourselves up. And that's one of the main things about idols. Verse 2, then he sent messages to his high officers, his officials, his governors, his advisors, his treasurers, his judges, his magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. Now remember, Babylon is the biggest kingdom ever known to man at this time. So he sent this out, and it wasn't just like a little day thing. This would have taken weeks and months for everybody to get this decree and then to come to town. So this is a big celebration. The entire known world of leaders have gathered together to see this statue of Nebuchadnezzar. It was of that import to him for everybody to gather together. So all these officials came and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, I imagine, because I have a weird mind, I imagine it was like my visit to Mount Rushmore. You get to Mount Rushmore and you're like, cool, like two minutes in. And then you're like, we just paid 20 bucks a person to get in, we paid for parking, we're here, and two minutes in, we're like, we're done. So what do we do? So we're like laying down, taking pictures, figuring out, hey, if you get your finger at this way, laying here, you can get your hand up in the president's nose. You know what I mean? We're doing that kind of stuff. So I imagine that it's kind of a chaotic moment here. These officials are there, they're gathered together, and they're like, awesome. It looks kind of like you, bigger. What do you do, right? But here they are, they're gathered together for unified worship from all over to do this. And then a herald shouts out, people of all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. Again, they're drawing everybody in. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, which we're going to have later on today in worship, just want you to know, pipes and other musical instruments, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. He's bringing him in so they can pay homage to him. 
Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. As we'll see over the next few verses, Nebuchadnezzar continues to make this idol for himself. And that life along the way presents us with opportunities for us to make idols as well. The culture tells us, tries to dictate to us who, what, when, and where, and how we should worship. But there's even good things in life that we have a tendency to worship. Sometimes we worship our kids. You can tell how what you worship by the amount of money and the amount of time and energy. And if you worry about it, then it can become worship. So we can worship our kids. We can worship sports. We can worship our work. We can worship money. All these different things that are not bad things, maybe even are good things. But sometimes they can become such a, a, a thought for us when we put so much time and money investment, it be, actually becomes an idol. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever the race, whatever the nation or language, bow to the ground and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Our idols demand our worship. One of the interesting things here is that in that in that passage, it's this idea of that there's actually chaos. So that as soon as the music started, there was this chaos because no one really knew what to do. And so chaos was there and people began to bow down to worship and some didn't. And so there's this chaotic scene. And, and, and sometimes we think and what happens is we pursue idols in life so that they will bring us peace when in reality they bring us chaos in our world. And we do not receive the peace that we want. So we pursue the kids thing. We pursue the sports thing. We pursue this new technology. We pursue these different things to medicate and to give ourselves a sense of worth and value. And they actually don't bring, they bring more chaos and they don't lead to peace, the things that we pursue. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. Now, these are the same astrologers who had been the pros before and couldn't answer the impossible dream. And so you can imagine their mindset is there are some that are like, hey, we got burned. We've lost our position. We've lost our authority. We've lost some of our prestige of who we were. And these four young Jewish guys come in. They, don't, they just barely passed the start test. How in the world are they raising up? And here we are. And so they're frustrated. It's frustrated mind. And so here they're in a situation of worship and they're keeping their eyes on these guys. And so the first time that these guys trip up, guess what they're going to do? They're going to go tattletale, aren't they? And here's their first chance to go tattletale. The guys that had lost their position, they went to the king and they informed on the Jews. This is a scene of anti-Semitism that we've seen all throughout history. So here they are in their frustrated mind and they go before the king and say, hey, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I imagine they kind of did it. They want their position, so they're going to do what they need to do to get their power and prestige. And so what did they do? I imagine they kind of have their fingers behind their back and they're like, long live the king. Spirit of bull malarkey is what we call it. Fingers crossed behind the back. And they, they say to him, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you issued a decree requiring all people bow down and worship the gold statue. When they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you're the one that's issued this decree, so you're responsible, so everyone should do this. But there are some Jews. Matter of fact, not just some Jews, it's those guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've put in charge of the province of Babylon. In other words, they're bossing people around, and you've put them there. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the God and statues that you have set up. Not our idea, 
Not us just lowly astrologers, but you, King Nebuchadnezzar, you've set this up and they're launching accusations at these young Jewish boys. And then Nebuchadnezzar, being a king, as we've seen several times, he gets a little excited. And what's he do? He flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were brought before him. And when they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue that I've set up? Now here in this moment, these three young men had an opportunity to offer up excuses. They could have found excuses to worship at the golden statue. They could have said, hey, we're going to bow down, but not really worship. We could do whatever, but not really worship and go and ask for forgiveness because God's a God of forgiveness. And so we'll pretend to worship. So we'll have the appearances of going with the flow, but they chose not to. And they're brought before King Nebuchadnezzar and they have this conversation together. And he says to them, I will give you one more chance. And so, so these guys have predetermined, as Scripture says, they had predetermined or they had forethought that any time that they were had an opportunity to worship something or someone that was not Yahweh or Adonai, they would step back and pursue and encourage one another and not worship the God that was not Yahweh. And so this is their life group. They had sat down together and said, hey, there's going to be opportunities in life where we're going to have to take a stand. And the four of us, are we going to encourage one another and stand arm in arm and stand strong and stand for God when we could not and go with the flow? Are we going to be weird or not in these moments? And here they are. They're standing before King Nebuchadnezzar. He gives them one more chance because he knows a little bit about him. He's met him before. And he says, you can bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the musical instrument. In other words, I'm going to strike up the band again. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Now think about this. These young men see the furnace before them. King Nebuchadnezzar saying, listen, there's the results. Either you choose when I strike up the band to worship, fall down and worship the statue, or there's the furnace. Now, we understand, we can look back and say, hey, listen, King Nebuchadnezzar is an extremely slow learner. Because in chapter 1, he learns God is Lord. He's sovereign. In chapter 2, he understands that God does the impossible. And now he's about to understand that God, Yahweh, can rescue even from him. He's the most powerful person in all of the world. He's drawn everyone to him to bow at the statue of himself. Who can rescue you from my power where everyone comes at my beck and call? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar. That's what I imagine, right? That's Again, that's my brain. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you don't even know. We, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. Now, one of the things that I've learned being a pastor over the years is there's times where people will, will lob accusations at you. And not just as a pastor, but as an adult or whatever. And And one of the things that I've learned as a follower of Jesus is that most of the time those accusations aren't necessarily at you. There are other things and that there's really there's nothing you can say to defend yourself. As a matter of fact, there's best to not say anything, because if you try to defend yourself and you try to win the argument, you have to defame their character and destroy them so that you can look good. And that what happens is if you just hush your mouth and say, listen, I am who I am, I've. 
I'm a person of character and integrity. Yes, we're not perfect, but I'm a person of character and integrity. And I just let truth win out. Truth wins out over time. And those that are lobbing end up being the ones that understand. They see that they're the ones casting lies and casting stuff. And they're the ones watching out. They've lost power or prestige or whatever it is that they've seen that they've lost. And so they're out on a hunt for you. So in those moments, most of us, we just need to shh. Don't get on Facebook. Don't put your words of wisdom on Snapchat. Just sit and listen and let who you are be who you are. And it may take a month. It may take six months. It may take six years. It may take 30 years. Your character and integrity will win out over time. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty, one way or another. One way or another, God will show his power and his authority. You think you're the most powerful one, that you have all the authority, but our God will show it. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never. And in the Hebrew, the original language, never means never. Never, 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 ever, ever. No matter what you put before us, never will we serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Again, these young men, they're less than 21 years of age. They have had forethought. They have predetermined that we are going to stand together. Whatever the idols that are put before us, we have a predetermined response to life's idols. And it's weird to not worship the idols that our culture puts before us. But these three men say, listen, our God, our worship to him is more important than what people think of me. And these three men said, this is our group. We're going to stand in courage and stand strong together. And Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. Now, what's interesting is, is in the original language here, is that they're able to look at the face of Nebuchadnezzar. So I'm sure he put his best face forward when they did the little portrait of him. And he was like... Right. And so the statue, because whenever somebody's walking by your statue, you want to have your best face. So they have he I'm sure over multiple times, like chisel away there, chisel away there. Yeah. No, I know I look a little chunky there, but I'm not like, you know, whatever it needs to do to have the best face forward. So everybody goes by and worships him. And now the react deal is he has a moment and his face is shown. His true face is shown in his rage is what the scripture says. Distorted by the rage that these men won't worship him. And so what's he do? He commanded it to be heated up, the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than usual. Weird people. Us as followers of Jesus, in the moment when we choose to stand strong, we will still experience life's fires. And doing the right thing many times is what's going to get you in the fire. And a culture that can't stand Jesus, if you stand for Jesus... You're looking at the furnace and you're saying, he's worth it. And that's what these young men did. They did the right things and they still had to go into the furnace. So then he ordered the strongest men of his army. Because you can imagine, he's imagining, hey, these three guys are not going to go easy. Is this like humans, like we're going to run and he's like, and they stand there and he ties them up as strong as he can with the strongest men. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he throws them into the blazing furnace. And so they tied him up and threw him into the furnace, fully dressed. 
They didn't waste any time. Now, what I want you to get about the furnace is it's up against the plateau in those days. They were making bricks and doing all this stuff, so they would use it all the time. And so here's this furnace off of a plateau, and there's two openings. One in the top, so it would march you off into it or do what, throw whatever materials they were going to do. And then there was also an opening, like the mega big screen TV, so you could see what was happening inside. So they tied them up, and they threw them into the furnace, fully closed with their turbans, their robes, and all the different garments that they've got. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace... The flames killed his strongest men as they threw him in. The flames just overwhelmed them. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Again, here's my mind. They're, they're walking, the guys throw them, and they get taken up. And all of a sudden, people are watching the big screen TV, and you see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hit the ground. It's like, boom, in the dust. And they're watching and waiting for what's going to happen. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, Didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, certainly we did. He's like, look, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth one looks like, the original says, looks like the Son of God. Jesus was walking in the fire. God, the Father, walks with his kids in the fires of life. If we hold up integrity and do what we're supposed to do and it leads us to the fire, he is not going to abandon us. He's going to walk with us in the fire and we're going to be in the midst of it. And these four men are doing it and As they prayed, God can rescue us. And so many times what we're asking for when we say, God, will you rescue us from the fire? We're saying, don't let us get in it. Like, don't let me even get close to the fire. Don't let it even tie my hands. Like, rescue me. Say, hey, the king go, eh, I'm just kidding. Let's go to eat together. No, that's what we want. But here in this moment, I think God says, no, I want people to know the nations have been drawn here. And what Nebuchadnezzar has meant for himself, I actually intend for me. And so in this moment, God could have rescued them before, but he did it. He let them go in the fire and he walks with them. And when they come out, they don't even smell like fire. So what he did, no one else could do but him. Reminds me of Isaiah 43 verses 1 through 3. Do not be afraid for I have ransomed you. This is God talking to his children. Saying, I've bought you out of slavery. I've ransomed you from your old life and put you in a new life. I've called you out by name. And you are mine. Not anybody else's. You're not King Nebuchadnezzar's. You're mine. When you go through the deep waters, where will he be? With you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, where will you be? He will be with you. You will not drown. He has the lifeguarding certifications. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The fires will not consume you. Why? Not because of us. So this is what we need to gather. Is it's not because of our strength or our wisdom or whatever. It's because of him and for his glory. The reason that he allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the fire wasn't for them so that people could applaud them. No, it was so that they could applaud God. Because of his strength and his power and his sovereignty. So in this moment, he says, I've ransomed you. I walk with you and all these things because I'm God. 
I'm your dad. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Then Nebuchadnezzar came out as he close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and he shouts, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. What's he say here? Servants of the Most High God. Come out. Now before he was like, if you don't bow down, I'm going to throw you in. Now he's like, hey, something cool's happening. Shadrach, Meshach, the sons of the Most High God, y'all come out and come here. It reminds me of the story of Lazarus. Now, notice he didn't call out all four guys. Because remember, he said it looks like the son of God. He didn't want to touch that. So he's like, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you come out. Wait, he didn't say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that other dude. He didn't want to deal with that. Here's a reminder. Our faith stories, our moments in the fire, our moments in the river, our moments in the deep waters. When we stand for Jesus in a culture that can't stand him, our neighbor's faith is impacted. Our neighbors say, hey, you are someone of the most high God. That the only way that you can walk through those deep waters, the only way that you can get through the river, the only way that you can walk through the fire is that God himself has done the impossible and walked with you and given you the strength and encouraged. You have predetermined and you've got people in your life that are encouraging you and strengthening you. And others say, I want friends like that. I want a God like that. I want to have a courage like that. I want a life like that that doesn't have shame, pain, regrets because you're willing to stand strong when no one else will. Because you predetermined that the God that's ransomed me has got me. Servants of the Most High God come out. And here's even, this is even cooler. Then the high officers and the officials and the governors and the advisors, all the people that are going to be going to different places, right? Crowded around them and saw that the fire had not even touched them. They were fully clothed. Now, the strong men had gotten close and gotten consumed. These guys had fully clothed and they're thrown in the middle. And they not only had it not touched them, the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their hair was singed, which I would have been good. Their clothing was not scorched. Listen to this. They did not even smell like smoke. Not even the stench of the most difficult place that they've ever walked was on them. The impossible. Again, it reminds me of the story of Lazarus. When he walked out, not even the stench of death was on him. God wanted, did what he's going to do. Nebuchadnezzar had created this statue in this moment of worship, and he gathered all the people for himself. And God said, that's awesome, Nebuchadnezzar. Thanks for doing that. Because I'm going to turn what you thought was worship for you into worship for me. That whenever God gathers his people together, he centrifuges us out to tell the story. What, 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 God, what men mean for themselves, God can use for his glory. Can you imagine the, the kingdom of Babylon, these high officials going to the nearest, farthest corners of all of the, all of the kingdom? And they're like, listen, I got a story to tell you. There were these three dudes. They got thrown in a fire and people that threw them into the fire died. And then all of a sudden we were watching the 90 screen foot big screen TV and there were four dudes. And three walked out and they didn't, I smelled them and they didn't even smell like smoke. And so now we don't worship the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. We worship Yahweh. The God of those three boys 
who serve the Most High God. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They trusted him so much they defied the king's commands and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any other God except their own. Parents, our culture's changing. Grandparents, our culture's changing. We have young men and women that are walking in the fires of life that are in the deep water, where they're walking along in the rivers of life and they can easily slip on a rock or the current of life can take them and they can be in dangerous situations. It's going to happen if we're training them up to be weird and to have extraordinary character to stand for Jesus when culture doesn't want to stand for Jesus and they're trying to make that move, they're going to be persecuted for their faith. Even more so today than maybe ever before in American culture. So we have to be encouragers. There's a story about a man named Frank Mons, and Frank Mons was an Anabaptist. He was one of 12 young men who had studied with a guy named Ulrich Zwingli, who was a teacher of the day. And he was a cohort, Mr. Zwingli was a cohort of a guy named Martin Luther and Calvin, John Calvin. You've heard of those guys. Zwingli's kind of not as well known, but those three guys were cohorts. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli were cohorts. And Zwingli had some students, as the other guys did. And as they were all studying together, an interesting thing, all three of those guys, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and their students all came to the conclusion that baptism, as they understood it in the Greek and as they're studying it, was done upon profession of faith, as they looked at all the New Testament baptisms. And so the Zwingli's 12 guys were like, hey, let's go get baptized. And Zwingli's like, hold on, you need to know something. And Calvin and Luther had said the same thing to their students. Listen, we're, we're now free from the Catholic Church, but, but the government pays my salary. And the reason that they pay my salary is because every time a child is born, we baptize them and we report that so that people can pay taxes so that we can get paid. Okay, that's why we have separation of church and state, by the way, here in the United States. And so, because the government doesn't pay my salary, right? I mean, they don't. You do. That's a whole other sermon. <clears throat> but... Zwingli's guys are like, I don't care about the government. I'm following Jesus. And so these 12 guys rebaptize each other. Well, the word gets out that they're talking about something that's different. And so church people began to kill off church people. And so man's his friends were actually martyred by other Christians because they were trying to follow Scripture and be rebaptized. And so Manz's time is up, and he's been caught, and he's being walked through the streets of Switzerland, and his mom is there. This is one of the things we don't think about is where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's parents there going, Don't do it! It's a fire! That, that is the final decision. Don't do it. Just pretend to bow down and worship. So Felix Mons's mom is there and he's being marched to the lake because they're going to give him a third baptism. And what they had been doing is they would take a pole and they would tie it behind these young men, tie their hands and their legs so they couldn't get out. They would put them in a boat and they would row them out to the middle of the lake and give them one final chance to recant of their baptism. And if they didn't, they would throw them over. 
And so Felix knew this was coming and his mom knew this was coming. And the story is that she's in the crowd and she's saying, stand strong. Stand strong for Jesus. You know what you believe. You know what is right. Stand strong for Christ. Do not back down. And I don't want that to be us. But I think it may be. And I think it should be our prayer on a daily basis for our kids and our grandkids and our kids that are trying to pursue Jesus. So that they would know that there's a crowd of people on the streets. That as they walk into their campuses and wherever they go is that we're our followers of Jesus. We're saying stand strong. There's going to be deep waters. The river current is strong. There's going to be fires. But be a man and a woman of integrity and stand strong so that you don't have the pain, shame, regret for not standing strong. Find people that are like you and you can stand together instead of putting their knife in the back that they're going to stand and say, we have predetermined, we have forethought that we will not bow down at the idols that the world tells us that we should be worshiping. We will stand strong and it's going to take us. As adults saying, stand strong. Spiritual moms and dads and grandparents saying, we know that it is worth the fight. Therefore, King Nebuchadnezzar made the decree, if anybody, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Three young men stood their ground for Yahweh. And the king, the most powerful man, said, Who can rescue you from my power? Now says, There's no other God that can rescue like the God of these guys. That's our God. He's our dad. He's called you by name. And he's ransomed you and said, I've got you in the deep waters. You're not going to drown. You're in the river. I've got the stuff. I've got the certs. I'm going to take care of you. In the fire, you're going to come out and you will not even smell like smoke. And people will be drawn to me, Yahweh, not you. But me, and it's all for my glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you're strong enough to rescue. No matter how deep the waters are, you can swim it. I mean, even if you need to provide a whale, you can do it. You can go deep into the waters. Father, in life, when there's a river and we, the current of life takes us and surprises us, the coldness of the water surprises us and takes our breaths away, you are there. And Father, when life, even when we're doing everything right, And our men and women of integrity and doing the right thing that life's fires still come our way. To know that we can continue to stand strong and we don't have to pretend to worship. 
to go with the flow. We can stand against the flow and know that in the fires, you are with us. So, Father, I pray that we would be ones that can stand strong when we need to stand strong and that we can be ones that are in the crowd yelling words of encouragement to strengthen those that are headed to the fire. Not to back away, but to stand strong and to know that it's not for their glory, but for His. God has got it. He is sovereign. For He has a plan and a purpose. I pray this morning. That if those that are in the deep waters, those that are in the river, those that are in the fires, that they would sense and know. That they would know that they would know. In their soul, would they have a peace? They can know it may not be their plan, but God, you have got a plan and you are with them. May they know that today. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. I just want to challenge you. One of the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks is that anytime we open up God's word, whether it's through singing or teaching, is that there's an opportunity to encounter the living God. That as the scripture says, it is a living sword. It brings life and death at the same time. That the old things go and it brings new life. And so this morning as we continue our time, it's an opportunity for you to respond to what God's saying to you. And so... Um, be, I'll be up here. You can come up here on your own and pray in the seat where you're at. You can pray connection card. Write down what God's saying, how we as a, as a team of staff and elders and others come alongside of you and pray with you so that we can be a part of your life group and support you and encourage you in life's moments together. Because it's going to come. Right? As Isaiah 47, 43 tells us, when you go through the deep waters, when you have rivers of difficulty when you go through the fire. Not if, but when. It's going to happen. But together, with God, we can come out on the other side without even the smell of smoke. Do you stand with me? Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.